All right. All right. I want to thank you for worshiping with us. And uh, I, you know what? I, I just, I love that song, man. I love that. Uh, that's a good song. It's a good song. And uh, I love that song. It's just, there's a lot of richness to that song in very, very simple words. And, uh, and this morning, I want to tell you, man, it, it, it fits. It fits for what we're going to talk about in First John, that nothing else Nothing else will do, and we'll get to that by the end of today's message. If you have your Bible, you can turn over to 1 John. We're going to be doing a walk through 1 John, and I'll, I'll talk about why we're going to do that in a second. However, I do want to share some news. Um, I had shared with you last week that we are attempting to get out of this building because, as you can see, this is one of two services, and uh, we're to the spot where we're maxing out our square footage in our parking lot. I was just out in the parking lot uh, before I came in. We have two we have two uh, handicap spots left and uh, one spot over here, so we only have three parking spots open. Uh, we have a whole other service, so we've 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 created a good problem, y'all. Church people have created a good problem. Amen. This is a good problem. We are in contract to buy another building in Madison as of right now. Now, hold on, hold on. It gets better. But wait, there's more. Uh, it is, we were looking at this, we were looking at this plot of land right here uh, and behind us. And that was about a quarter of an acre with a house. And we are, our asking price on this was $160,000 just for a quarter of an acre in a house so that maybe we could tack a sanctuary on the back. Uh, what we are in contract to buy is about 8,500 square feet, four acres, parking spots. We're going to have to do some work, but it's only $169,000. Uh, so we're in contract for $9,000 more. We're getting a church, four acres. I'll tell you where it's at. It's East Hills Presbyterian Church, and uh, it's over by the Madison Baseball Complex. And we have, uh, if, if, you, if you know where Forest Hills Golf Course is at, um, and Countryside Pizza is a landmarker for me in, in this town. And Deshner's and, and Claire's Pizza. But uh, if you don't know where those are at, you're not from Madison. Uh, but but at, any, at any rate, we're in contract. Hopefully, we'll be closing. They're going to stay in that building till the end of the year. We still got T's to cross and I's to dot, so I don't want to get too excited. But they're going to stay in the building till the end of the year. The church is going to be kind of dissolving. And uh, after the first of the year, we're going to go in and do some of our work on the first level. And we're going to take it incrementally. We're not going to be able to go through the whole building like we did on this one because it's a much bigger building. We're going to get ready. Ready for uh, we're going to get ready for for what God has and and get ready for service in there and the best blessing of it all is of all things go well hopefully we'll be one service for for quite some time and so uh, we, we that's going to be awesome you're going to get to meet some new people right out of the gates uh, from the second service y'all aren't excited I bet you 11 o'clock will be uh, they'll be excited because they're awake there's free coffee in the back if you're not awake this is good news people this is good news um the church is not a building. It isn't a building. It's just the building is just a building. We know that. But I I, I know that significant things have already happened here, and uh, and I'm just looking forward to what God's doing. So I want to tell you this too. As of right now, uh, as of right now, we're going to be hanging on to this building. This is going to become our youth center, and uh, we're just going to believe that God's going to blow this place up, and that He's going to use this to reach the youth of our community, and and maybe even our county. And uh, so we're gonna. We're going to turn the keys of this place over to uh, our youth ministries, and none of them look excited because they haven't had enough coffee. They're all up here just like, you guys all got like a mean girl face right now. Just like, I want one more hour of sleep. 
we have a second service. <laughs> a couple more weeks, a couple more weeks. So I want to open up with a word of prayer. If you have your Bible, open up to First John. We're going to get right into it. But good news, amen? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this house. And I, I, I don't want to thank you just for a building, Lord. It's just a building. I thank you, Lord, that at this altar we've prayed salvation with over over 50 or 60 people since we've started. Lord, I thank you that at this altar, we've baptized people. I thank you, Lord, that in those children's rooms over there, we've had dozens and dozens of kids make decisions for Jesus, Lord. I'm thankful, Lord, that every parking spot in this parking lot's full, oftentimes two services in a row. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that you have provided in every conceivable fashion, Lord. Lord, we're not here to be a mega church. I'm not pursuing that. Lord, I just want to be who you've called us to be for this community. I want to reach people for Jesus. I want to see their lives changed, and I want you to be lifted high. That's what I want. If anything else happens on top of that, thank you, Lord. But if those things happen, Lord, we feel like we can lay our head down on our pillow at night and be, 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 be well with you. So, God, have your way in this place today. And for the person that needs to hear the gospel, today is their day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to have you do this every week, but in just a second, in just a second, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of God's word. But we started these series when I was pastoring, uh, when I was pastoring Lexington, in case you don't know, this is, this is one of three fusion churches that we've started over the course of, uh, of seven years. It's amazing what God has done in seven years. For those of you that have been around with it since the beginning, holy smokes, it's incredible. Um, but we had read a statistic on, we had read a statistic on uh, Christianity, and one of the statistics on Christianity was that 80% of f all followers of Jesus. Now, I don't know if this is a true statistic because you can't believe everything you read on the internet anymore. I, if I don't get another amen, that should be it. Okay. Some of you still believe the internet. God bless you. We'll help you. But the statistic was this 80% of all followers of Jesus have never read through, listen to this, a single book of the Bible. Not the whole Bible, a single book of the Bible. Now, some of you in here have read through the whole Bible. Some of you have read through lots of the Bible. Some of you, like many people, have bogged down in numbers in Deuteronomy. You've tried it a hundred times, and it just, it's just like getting into the mud, like, bleh, you know. But our idea here was if we actually physically read some of these smaller books, and we, we walk through these scriptures together at the end of a walk through first John, you will, if you come to every service, you will have read through the entire book of first John with us. And so we've done this about seven times now. So we've covered about seven whole books of the Bible, which is awesome. Uh, and so uh, people that have been to all of them can say, I have, I have read seven different books of the Bible. It's our way of encouraging you to ingest the word of God. And so without further ado, I'm going to have you stand to your feet because this is a short chapter. We're going to read the entire chapter of first John, uh, starting in verse one. And, uh, we'll just, we'll just go right through it. All right, let's do this. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched this. We proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Father, thank you for your word. Change our lives with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm glad to be seated. I love this gospel. This gospel is, this go, it's not really a gospel, but this, this, this book of the Bible is attributed to, by most biblical theologians, to the same John that wrote the book of John, and it was John, the beloved of Jesus. I love John. John, John has a, a, a fun grip on God. He has a fun relationship with, with, with God, and I don't know if you ever read the Bible to look for things that are funny, but one of the things that John, the, the, the gospel of John says is that he was, he almost paints it, paints it out that John is the favorite of Jesus, uh, that he is the beloved of Christ. And, and I love that about John. I love the fact that he is the beloved of Christ. I also love the fact that he wrote the gospel that says he's the beloved of Christ. He wrote it about himself, folks. Um, and so he, he, he has this close-knit relationship with Jesus, and when we see some of his later writings, he has been through a lot for the cause of Christ at this point. Uh, at this point in time, he has, uh, when, he, when we get the book of Revelation that he writes, uh, he, has, he has most likely been through all of his persecution that he, he will go through in his life. He has been boiled in hot oil uh, as a martyr for Christ, but the oil of God, I believe, was so hot on the inside of him that the oil on the outside couldn't kill him. He was one of the only, he was the only disciple that died of natural causes, but not before he was uh, boiled in hot oil. How many people would like to go that way? That's like, that's like you finally understand what a potato chip feels like. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and then, and then he gets exiled to the Isle of Patmos. So he, he spends the rest of his life on an Island that's made for criminals after they've tried to take his life. And he pins these, he pins these, these rocks writings and pins the book of Revelation. And I love the fact that at the end of all of this and having watched all of his friends die for the cause of Christ, he says, I don't know everything, but the one thing I know is that, and we'll get to this, that God is, is love. And I, I love that he has all of these bad and heinous and hard experiences, the type of experiences that we would all look at and go, why would God let this happen to me? Experiences. Because he's the beloved of Christ. He has all of these, why would God let this happen to me experiences? And he still says this in his writings, that God is love. And then he starts this way in 1 John chapter 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. John wants you to understand this in this, this book of 1 John. He wants you to understand, I am not telling you something that I have heard about. I am not telling you something that somebody else told me. I am not telling you something that got passed down through generations from my, my grandma and my grandpa to my mom and dad, and then my mom and dad taught me this. I'm not telling you about about news that my neighbor told, told me, I want to let you know that what I'm about to write about this man and about this God, I have heard it with my own ears. 
I've seen it with my own eyes. He even says, my hands, my hands have touched this man. My hands have been laid on him. And I, I witnessed, I, I witnessed his ministry. I, I witnessed the man that claimed to be the son of God. I walked with him. I watched him. I hugged him. I held hands in prayer with him. I was there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I was there when he took a few fish and a few loaves and he fed thousands of people on a couple of different occasions. I was there when he healed blind Bartimaeus. I was there and I want to let you know what I'm about to write about him is qualified because I was there. This is an eyewitness account. This is somebody that walked with Jesus. And see, sometimes, sometimes we, we, will let people, we will let people talk us out of what we have experienced. A person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Let me say that again because you didn't get a hold of it yet. A person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. You're going to have people in your life who try to talk you out of what you have experienced. Did it really happen that way? Was it God that really healed you? Was it God that really helped your marriage? Was it God that really made the difference on laying the alcohol down? Or did you put in the work yourself and you're the one that fixed your marriage? The doctor's the one that healed you. You're the one that laid down the alcohol. And I would say this after years and years and years and years of ministry, I've watched people try every other thing and arrive at this place. And for the first time in their life, the only thing that worked was this. They'd been to a 12 step program. Didn't work. This worked. They'd been to marital counseling, didn't work, this worked. They'd been to doctors and physicians, and I've prayed with people personally who were told it's over, and this worked. A person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. And John is trying to tell you that what I'm about to tell you is out of experience and out of my experience, out of my experience, what I have found about him is he is who he said he was. This message, which we have heard from him, and declare to you is that God is light. We've heard it from him. He said it about himself, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I love that John says that. He says, God is light. We've heard that before, right? right? Let, you know, we, we even know that Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. We, we teach our kids songs in kids' church. Sometimes you hear them through the wall, you know, like this little light. Of, you know the song, right? You know this little light of mine. If you don't know this little light of mine, it's time to get out of adult church, go to kids' church. They're having fun over there. This little light of mine is one of those songs that we've sung for, for generations. And, and, and John says, I want you to understand, he said this about himself. This is a message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And John doubles down though. He wants us to understand something a little bit deeper than this. He says, God is light. We get that. We understand that. He says, but in him, there is no darkness at all. In him, there's no darkness at all. Sometimes we have the light of God in our life and there are still dark corners in our life, but in him, 
in him. There's no darkness at all. They say if you get a telescope and you're able to look at the sun, and I know you can't do that or you'll burn your retinas out, but there are pictures of the sun where you can see actual dark spots in the sun, where there are spots where there, there isn't radiance, there isn't light. If you're able to look at it close enough, it's a ball of flaming gas, but there are spots where there are darkness and He wants us to understand God is light, but in him, there is no darkness. There is no evil. There is no sin. There is no brokenness. There is no flaw. There is no fault. Light in its purest form is the most pure thing that there is. And when we look at light, we can't see darkness. And he wants us to understand there are no flaws in God. There are no flaws in Jesus. 80%, 70, excuse me, 70% of Christians in a new study, 70% of Christians believe that Jesus is the son of God, Christians, but he's not the only way to God. 70% of American Christians in a new study said Jesus is the son of God, but he's not the only way to God. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. If Jesus was a liar, he would not be light, and there would be darkness in him. John wants us to understand what he claimed about himself is factual. What he said about who he is and what he offers, I've watched it. I've seen it. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. And sometimes, sometimes whether we want to say we believe it or not, or whether we want to admit it or not, we will make decisions that look like or appear that we believe that God has some darkness inside of him. Let me tell you how I mean that. I don't mean that we'll come right out and say, you know what, God, God is evil. I feel weird even saying that in the world where we can cut and clip and snip and snap. Somebody could literally take my words and all of a sudden I would be saying God is evil. God is not evil. Okay. God is not evil, but we will act as though God does not have our best interest in mind. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of prosperity, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then we will live our life when things don't go our way as though God's word in Jeremiah 29, 11 is not true for us. He does not know the plans he has for us. He does not plan to prosper us. Why would God let this happen to me? What is God doing to me? We'll say things like, what is he trying to teach me? And that's a healthy response to bad things happening in our life. But there are times where we go through things where we feel like, come on, I can't be the only one. There are times where we go through things and we feel like there's no way this God in heaven always has my best interest in mind. This can't be. There's no way to work this out for the glory of God to those who love him and are called according. How is this going to, how is he going to make beauty out of ashes out of this one? Have you ever had those moments in your life where like, I don't see where anything positive is going to come from this. Where is, where is sickness going to have a positive side to it? Where is being broke going to have a, where is losing my job going to have a positive side? And there's no way that the God of the universe who loves me infinitely could possibly be working out my life for his glory and his purposes when it feels like all hell is breaking loose in my life. Now, whether we say these words or not, what we're saying or what we're alluding to is maybe just maybe there's a little bit of darkness in God toward us. 
that might not be that might not be a fair assertion for some of us. But there's times I felt that way. If you haven't gone through anything yet that, that, that made you question whether or not that you felt like God had your best interest in mind, you just ain't lived enough life yet. You're going to have it happen where you're going to have something happen. You're going to go, how is this going on in my life? I had it happen at first when I was in youth ministry. I'm not going to go, go into this, but it ended so poorly. I thought, did I miss you? Did I, did I really hear you? Maybe I'm not even called. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not even supposed to be in ministry or, or maybe I'm, maybe, maybe somehow you're teaching me something or maybe, maybe you just don't like me that much. I felt like there's been a few times in my life where I'm like, does he really like me that much? To be honest, there's times in my life where I'm pretty sure he didn't like, he loved me, but he didn't like me because there's times in my life where I have not been that likable. I usually have four or five minutes a day where I'm not likable. Usually about the time I roll out of bed to the time I get down to the coffee pot. Somewhere in that stretch, not a likable guy. The truth of God is that he is light and there's no darkness in him at all. And the reason John wants us to understand that is this. If there's a broken part of your relationship with, hear what I'm about to say. If your relationship or your fellowship, and I will say, I'll say it that way. If your fellowship with God has been broken, it's not his fault. If your relationship is not as tight as it used to be, in him is no darkness at all. It's not his fault. If you're angry at him, it's not his fault. If you haven't heard his voice for a while, it's not his fault. In this one relationship you have in this life, this is the only relationship that's like this. The fault always, the, the, the ownership of fault is always on you. It's not that way in every other relationship, is it? There's two, we, we say things like there's two sides to every story. We need to hear both sides. I need to hear from the husband and the wife. I need to hear from the kid and the mom. I need to hear from the employee and the employer because I need to see what really happened. I got in order for me to get a full picture of what really happened, I got to talk to everybody involved. Now, if I'm talking about your relationship with God, I don't have to talk to everybody involved. I just got to talk to you because in all likelihood, the broken part of the relationship is on you. The mistake is on you. The darkness is on you. The sin is on you. The issue is on you. Now that's hard to receive. Pastor, why do you preach? Why do you say such hard things? I don't, I don't want you to view them as hard things. I want you to just view it as a truth. That's just the truth. The truth is, is that God never breaks relationship or fellowship with us. Never, never, ever happens. Never ever is his choice. Never ever does he walk away from you. Never ever does he leave you. Does he forsake you? He'll go with you to the very end of the age. Never ever 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 will God walk out of the room on you. Ever. Now that's that's fantastic actually. The fact that we own the brokenness, that we own the fault in the relationship tells us that he won't ever leave you. That's the best there is. We would love to have somebody in our life. Our wife, we would love to know for sure, never going to walk out. Some of you are like, I won't let her. 
That's kidnapping. (laughs) Relationships come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go. God will never walk out on you. Period. Period. The ownership of brokenness in every relationship is oftentimes on both parties. But the truth of God is that it's never on him when it comes to our issue. Sin is, listen to me, sin. And I want to say the word sin. I don't want to say missing the mark. I don't want to say missing, making mistakes. I don't want to say we're all human and we all have flaws because we could really dumb sin down. Like we all have flaws. Yes, we all have flaws. Those flaws are called sin. Yes, we all make mistakes. Those mistakes biblically are called sin. We all fall short of the glory of God and we have sin in our life. Why do I want to call it sin? Because Jesus didn't come to save people who have flaws. He didn't come to save people who make mistakes. He didn't come to save people who once in a while have a slip up. He came to set the sinner free. That's who he came for was to save those who were in sin. Okay, that's what the Bible says. And so we're going to call it sin here. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin and fall short of the of the standard of, 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 of our marriage. We all sin and fall short of the standard of parenthood or employeehood. You could say sin causes problems in every arena of our life. It sure does. We all, all, all sin. Yes, we can call them mistakes because most of our sins in our life are like, oh, if I could go back. <laughs> I don't even want to ask by a show of hands who's got some stuff you would undo if you had a time machine or redo. I'd probably redo, redo some things. The truth of God is that the ownership of the brokenness is never on us. And we understand that. But he goes on and he says, if we say that, listen to this, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, this is a hard word right here. I, hey, listen to me. I did not pick this one out. Okay, I did. I picked First John as the book, but this first chapter, I had to get through it, okay? And it's got some hard stuff in it. He says, listen, if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we're walking with him and we walk in darkness, we, we lie, we lie and do not practice the truth. We lie and do not practice the truth. Well, 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 well I, what, what do you mean practice the truth? Because that's not, this isn't my truth. My, the truth about me is my truth. This is my truth. The Bible says very clearly that if we say we walk in light, but we actually walk in darkness, that we lie and we don't practice the truth. The truth is not a moving target. The truth is and always will be a stationary target. It's the fairest thing that God ever did. This will always be true. It will never change. It will be the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is life. He's all of these things, and the truth never moves. And if we say that we're walking in the light, but we walk in darkness, the Bible says that we lie, and we don't practice the truth. It's possible. It's possible to claim we have a relationship with God that we do not have. It's possible to think we have a relationship with God that we do not have. Again, there's a couple of hard 
things to say. It's possible to claim we have a relationship with God that we do not have. It's possible to think we have a relationship with God that we do not have. Those are very nuanced ways to say we are not walking in fellowship. Now, when I read something like that, or I say something like that, it's possible to claim we have a relationship with God that we don't have, or think we have a relationship with God that we don't have. I got to, I want to confess some things about myself. Okay. And some of you are like, Oh, pastor's about to resign. I'm not about to resign. I'm not about to resign. But I, 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 seven, eight, nine years ago, when I would read scripture like that, from the time I began in ministry till seven or eight or nine years ago, when I would read scripture like that, it was very easy for me not to internalize that scripture. It was very easy for me to say things like some people think they have a relationship with God or claim they have a relationship with God that they don't actually have or they think they have a relationship with God that they don't actually have. And my mind, when I would read scriptures like that or think thoughts like that, my mind immediately went to folks in the church that I wish, that I wish would understand what their issues were and lay some of their sin down. Because I knew how much closer to God they could be if they weren't doing this or they weren't doing that or they weren't talking like this or their marriage would be better if they would do this. And it was very easy for me as a pastor to think of people in my congregation that I knew, man, if they would just, if they would just stop lying to themselves and walk in the light, then they would have this fellowship with God. Because it's easier to fix everybody else's problems, isn't it? Okay, let me say it a different way. It's not easier to fix everybody else's problems. It's just easier to notice them. <laughs> really easy to notice other people's problems. We've been doing the blame game ever since Genesis chapter like three when, he, hey, the woman that you gave me, and I went through it a couple of weeks ago, all the way through the Bible, we still do the blame game. We can look at people and go, if you would do this, things would go a whole lot better for you. Do you know there's somebody thinking about that, uh, that, that about you watching your life? You don't think about that, but we, we've got, we, we watch other people's lives. Well, if you would just quit doing that, your marriage would get better. And they're thinking, well, if you would just quit acting that way, you'd probably get a, a, a raise at your job. I lived there. I hate to use the word evolve. <laughs> Can't even use that in church. But I've evolved as a pastor. Probably because... I've aged, and nobody thinks the same as they get older, do they? It's true. The older you get, you think differently. You don't rush. Things aren't as big of a deal. Things that used to be so high priority and things you would just panic over, you just, you just don't panic about those things anymore. You start paying attention to aches and pains more, though. <laughs> Especially with WebMD. Get off the internet. WebMD is a bad thing. Everything is a problem, right? It's easy for me, it's easy for me to say, yeah, I know a guy that talks about Jesus but clearly isn't living for him. I know a coworker, man, he'll say Jesus and sometimes he uses it in context and sometimes he says it in such a way that it's like, whoo! One of the most exhausting things in following Jesus is spending all your time weighing other people's performance. It gets old. I want to be open with you this morning. Go ahead. Look at that. That's my, that's my, that's what our church, that's our first church storefront. That's me. 
That's 2000 and I think it's about 2011. Um, funny, Mike. Super funny. You got jokes. Um, I was I was singing on the worship team at, at, at that point in time. And this guy, man, this guy right here, he'd preach. Some of you, some of you saw that guy, man. I'd, pre, I'd preach. I'd just be dripping with sweat. Dripping. Dripping with sweat. Telling people, I, it was easy for me to get on stage. And, and, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about blowing the dust off a ghost. And I preached on the... I preached on the Holy Spirit and preached about the, the, the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And I talked about self-control. It's easy for this guy to talk about self-control. I get up and t- tell people, man, you know, you know what? You need to have self-control. Now, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. This is, not me. this is not me getting ready to talk about, you know, we're all going on a diet together. I'm not doing that. What I want to tell you is this guy had just left youth ministry. Broken. A mess. Food was only one addiction in my life. 327 pounds. All kinds of other issues. Leading a church, let me just tell you this, leading a church because I didn't know what else to do. That's what I went to school for. Didn't have any other job skills. Left broken and hurting and, and, and upset and the people that I spent a bunch of time ministering to and trying to help, man, the people, I, I just felt like there was a coup formed against me. Shortly after that, I had a kid with, kid, kid with Down syndrome that I didn't know had Down syndrome. And it was easy for me to be, it was easy for me to uh, like objectively look at everybody else's life, but I wasn't willing to be honest with myself. Now, this isn't going to be a self-help message. This is, I'm, not Tony, I'm not Tony Robbins, whatever his name is. I don't know. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. I'm not John Maxwell. I'm not any of these guys. I'm a pastor and a preacher. And for me, for me, it was very easy for me. You can go to the next slide if you want. There. That's you. Ten years ago. Look how little you were. Stop it. Stop it. Now, that picture, I wasn't actually overweight. I'd stumbled over a hive of bees and I'd gotten stunk. No, I'm just kidding. I was overweight, grossly overweight. I was out, my, life, my, life, my life, to people looking on the outside, uh, from the outside looking in, people would have been like, well, he's a pastor. He's got a young family. Things seem to be going well. I was a mess. I was a mess. Preaching to people about everything that they needed to do, needed to, they, they needed to fix. Again, I told you, man, it was really easy for me to watch people's lives and, and to say, you know what, if you did this, then, then this would work for you. You know, if you did this, then this would work for you. And if you were just honest with yourself and would get out of darkness and walk in light, then you would have fellowship with Christ and things would be all altogether better for you. It was easy for me to think about somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. And it's so easy for us to do that. Think about somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. And we're not honest about our own Friday nights. We're not honest about our own Saturday nights. We're not honest about what goes on when our wife goes to bed. We're not honest about what we talk like when we're at work or who we are when we're away from our family. We're not honest enough to, to, to think about ourselves, but it's easier for us to, to look at other people. And, and, and here I am having to preach this message because I feel like I'm still talking about other people. I'm not talking about other people. What I'm talking about is the truth of God works when you couple it with the truth about you. Let me say that again. The truth of God works when you couple it with the truth about you. If you're not willing to come 
to the truth about who you are, you will never arrive at the truth about who he is. I wasn't a good husband. Can I just tell you, this guy right here only read his Bible to prepare for sermons. I'm still reading my Bible. You read your Bible a lot when you're preparing for sermons. But to say, you know what, God, I want this word for myself. I want to hear this for myself. I want, to, I, just, I want you to wash over me. I wasn't that guy. I wasn't a good husband. I was broken from my past with things that had happened to me when I was young. I was broken with what, I, what had happened to me in, in, in ministry as a young man. And this broken man was trying to help other people heal. And it was easy to read scriptures like what I just read and think of other people, think of other people that needed to confront their demons, think of people that needed to address their sin. It was easier to believe that other people were lying to themselves than to realize I was lying to myself. Did God love me? Yes. Yes, he did. He loves that guy. He loves this guy. My wife would kill me dead if she saw that picture. She's going to get so mad next service. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> so excited <laughs> like at least you were just a little kid mom and I were like <laughs> yeah, I said it I said it did God love me yes were my sins forgiven yes does God love you right where you're at yes if you ask him for forgiveness are your sins forgiven yes was I in fellowship with him though no not if I look at the definition of fellowship. Fellowship's companionship, friendship, cooperation, solidarity. Was I in solidarity with God? Was I in cooperation with God? Was I even in close companionship with God? No, I can't say I was. Now, as a father, if my kid does something I don't want them to do, I don't kick them out of the house yet. <laughs> I don't kick them out of the family. Never going to kick them out of the family but until there's recognition of what they've done in a conversation that's aimed at reconciliation, relationship can be strained. It's possible, it's possible that we still can have relationship with God and not completely be walking in light. Now, some of you would say, Pastor, that's, that's blasphemous. I'm going to tell you this, man. There is a reason that the Bible talks about confession and the verb tense of confession is written in the verb tense that it's written in. I'm going to get into that in just a quick second because I'm almost done. Pastor Josh, you can come. I can have relationship but not be in solidarity with. I can have forgiveness in my life but not be walking in close context with. And there's problems, there's problems that happen when when I get distant from God, number one, it becomes easier to stay away from the things of God the more that I'm away from the things of God. Now, that seems to be almost stupid and, 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 and foolish to even say, but it gets easier to stay away the more I stay away. It gets easier to not listen the more I don't listen. It gets easier to not read the more I don't read. It gets easier to not pray the more I don't pray. It gets easier and easier to walk out of fellowship with God and friendship with God the more that I make choices that take me out of the light and into darkness. Good, evil, bad, right, wrong, however you want to think of it. The more I make the decisions that are the antithesis of what he's asking me to do, the easier it is to make those decisions. God knew that. Jesus knew that. John knew that. As a pastor, I know that. 
I tell people all the time, the reason that we come after you after you haven't been here for a while is we know it's going to be harder for you to find your way back when the way gone has been too long. Oh, pastor, you just, you just pester and you want butts and chairs. Listen to me. No, 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 no. I want names to stay in the Lamb's book of life. I want, I, I'm not as interested in you coming to fusion as I am you going to heaven. Real interested in you going to heaven. Super interested in you going to heaven. And I know that when you get out of fellowship with him and when you get outside of God's, God's favor and outside of his blessing and you start walking according to the flesh and out of light and into darkness, I also know, listen, I've watched it enough in my life. And some of you might say, well, pastor, that's just a cute little saying. No, I've watched it happen. I've watched it happen that oftentimes the grace of God will not protect you where the will of God did not take you. You will reap what you sow. Some people believe that grace is this broad umbrella that covers everything we ever do. Yes, yes, grace is why we're able to be forgiven of every sin. But the Bible does not say, the Bible does not say that we won't experience the consequences of those sins, not the eternal consequences, those are forgiven. But oftentimes you will experience the earthly consequence of the sin, even though the eternal consequence has been washed away. Walking in fellowship with God is, is, is crucially important, not because, of, not because your sins aren't forgiven, but because there is, there's grace and favor and direction. Listen, if you're walking through this life and it's a dark walk, you're going to make a lot of stumbles and pitfalls. You're going to fall into a lot of valleys and ravines. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. He directs us and guides us and leads us. And the easiest walk that we ever have is an illuminated walk. And when we get out of fellowship with him, when we get out of the light, we start walking in darkness. We start having darkness on the path of life and we start falling and we start making mistakes. The easiest way to get somewhere obviously is on the right path, but especially if that path is illuminated. You can be on the right road at night, but if you turn your headlights off, come on. Well, I started off on the right road. The problem was the path was not lit. Jesus is the way. He is the road, but he is also the light, not just the life. He is also the light. He is the road and the light. He is an illuminated path. Where does that path go? That path goes from here to the Father, here to heaven. And he wants us to have fellowship with him. I cannot, listen, I cannot arrive at the truth about Jesus until I'm willing to be honest with the truth about me. What is the truth about you? What is the truth about you? You know if you're struggling. You know if you're hurting. You know if you're broken. I, I, I want to get to the solution in just a quick second because the truth is super important. But the truth is, is that we have sin. Our problem is sin. Our issue is sin. And there's truth about that being reconciled and confession and the covering of our sin and the truth about God 
combats the truth about us. The truth about God fixes the truth about us. That's fantastic. But what is the truth about you? Here's the thing. When I was that guy, when I was in ministry and still sometimes even now, I have to be honest with you. I, as a pastor, I fight like how transparent can I really be? How transparent can I be with this group of people? How honest can I be with this group of people? Can, I, I, I want to tell you what, I, I, I can't promise this for every single person in the room. I'm going to tell you this. I can't promise the person to the front or back of you or the left or right of you will handle your heartache well. But I will. Jesus will. I can't promise you that everybody can hear about your brokenness and act like a follower of Jesus. But I'm going to make that commitment to you right now. I will. Jesus will. My leadership will. If you're hurting or you're broken in this place, can, can we make it the truth about fusion that you can be honest here? You can say, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. No, I'm not okay. I want you to be able to say those things here. I want you to be able to arrive at the truth about where you're at right now so that you can arrive at the miraculous truth about him. Because he is, he is the shape of the problem. He fixes it. He plugs that hole. He heals that hurt. But you got to recognize that there is hurt there. There's brokenness there. There's a past there. There's shame you haven't dealt with. And for far too long, the body of Christ has made people think, I can't bring my baggage here because the shame will increase, not decrease. And that is wrong on us, collectively and corporately. If you shame somebody because they confess their sin, shame on you. Get to the altar and drop your sin of judgment listen you might not have arrived at the cross through a, a bad sexual past you might not have arrived at the cross through drugs and alcohol you might not have arrived at the cross because of divorce but your reason why was just as dark as their reason why and when they found the light, they found the same light you found. Or they're in the, in the process of finding the same light, the same Jesus that you found. He's the one that fixes the problem. Your condemnation and judgment, it doesn't fix anything. Anything. Leading with somebody's sin and be like, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop doing that. You need to stop doing that. Listen to me. Stopping sinning isn't what forgives us of our sin. It's the blood of Jesus. Point them to the cross first. Don't point them back to their sin and say, you're an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic. No, he's a savior and he loves you anyways. Because they can stop drinking alcohol. Listen to what I'm about to say. They can stop drinking alcohol on their own, never find Jesus. They're still going to hell without him. Point him to the cross. Point him to the cross. To the cross. Because he's the solution. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Not your effort, not somebody else's judgment, not somebody else's perfect picture of what your life should be. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. What he did, not what we do. What he did, not what somebody else has done for you. Not what your grandma told you, not what your mom taught you. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from 
all, all, all sin. We've been taught for far too long. Well, you know what? Uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from, from things we did in our past. I don't, how, how many of y'all still need the blood of Jesus for yesterday? How many of y'all still going to need the blood of Jesus later on today? Let's not make plans to need the blood of Jesus. Because sometimes we do that like, well, I'll forgive this later. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all are going to need the blood of Jesus tomorrow? Do you realize the Bible says it doesn't say that he forgives the sins of our past. It says he forgives all, all sin. All sin. Well, pastor, don't be heretical. I don't want you to talk about eternal. I'm not talking about eternal. Listen, I'm telling you when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. But we have to abide. We have to abide in the we have to abide in the vine. We have to, we're the branches. We have to abide. We have to walk with. We have, we have the opportunity to walk in light and have fellowship with him. We have the opportunity to walk in righteousness and experience blessing and favor. We have the opportunity to have relationship at a deep level with him and intimacy with him and, and hear his voice and know his leading for our life. We have the opportunity to have more than just salvation. Salvation is the greatest thing. It's the greatest start. But we have the opportunity to have more as we walk with him. The truth of fellowship is that gives you access to the heartbeat of God for your life. But it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And we need continual cleansing because the Bible says we continually sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. The Bible says in John chapter 13, verse 10, we need to have our feet clean sometimes, meaning we pick up some dust along the road. How many people have picked up some dust along the road of following Jesus? The verb John used in cleanses us from all sin is in the present tense, not in the future tense. We can do more than merely hope that we will one day be cleansed. The Bible says because of the verb tense that John uses that I can be cleansed today, right now, present tense. And tomorrow becomes today. And I can be forgiven right now today next week becomes this week and if i fail i can be forgiven today right now the moment that i ask for it from all sin by the blood of jesus the sin we inherited from adam the sin we committed as kids the sins of our growing up sins against our father our mother against our brother and sister sins against our husbands or wives against our children sins against our employers employers our employees sins against our friends and our enemies lying stealing cheating adultery swearing drugs booze promiscuity murder sins that haunt us every day sins we didn't even know we did all sin can be cleansed by the blood of jesus you can't come to fellowship with god through philosophical speculation. You can't come to fellowship with God through intellectual education. You can't come to fellowship with God through drugs or entertainment. You can't come to fellowship with God through scientific investigation. You can only come to fellowship with God by dealing with your sin problem. Listen to me. The truth about God, the truth about yourself, by dealing with your sin problem through the blood of Jesus. Because he forgives us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 
we don't like to think of ourselves continually as sinners. Uh, I've heard people say, I don't like hearing people say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're the righteousness of God. You're a saint of God. The saint, a saint of God still isn't Jesus. I might get me into hot water. I don't want to say you're not a son of God. You're going to, if you're, you're going to be a, you're going to be a son. You're going to be daughters, right? You are sons and daughters. You, the Bible says through his spirit, we're able to call him Abba, Papa, Father, right? We are his sons. But there's a reason that there's a reason that we're continually walking with him and being sanctified and being transformed into his image. It's because we continually, we continually are faced and confronted with decisions and choices. As a young, as a young Christian, and this is my second close, I'm almost done. As a young Christian, man, I was made to believe that once I accepted Jesus, I was never going to make a mistake again. Boy, it came as a shock and a surprise to me when I, <laughs> I was still struggling. Well, I wasn't supposed to, maybe I didn't get a hold of the real thing. I wasn't supposed to struggle no more. I mean, I, I'm a Christian. I, my marriage should be perfect. I'm a Christian. I should never, ever have a bad thought ever again. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I should, I should never, ever, ever want to yell at somebody ever again. I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I don't sin anymore. Some of y'all sin at restaurants, just yelling at waitresses. I mean, we still, we still need the blood of Jesus. The truth about forgiveness is that that forgiveness that happens, it's, it's, it's for all of our sins, the sins that we commit in the past, in the present, and in the future. And John deals with people who say, you know what? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What John is saying, don't put on a mask. Don't fake it. Don't act like you're something that you're not. And the church has been really, really, really good for millennia, for decades, for however long you want to say it, at acting the part and being holier than thou and high and mighty and righteous. John's saying, don't fake it. Be honest about yourself. Be honest about yourself. Be open with one another. You know what? Bear one another's burdens. Walk with each other in grace. Help each other out when you're struggling. Lift somebody that's broken. Give to the poor. Give to somebody who has less than you. Be honest about you. If we say we don't have sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. Wouldn't the church, wouldn't the body of Christ be far more enticing to a sinner if they knew these people are going to handle my pain with absolute love and dignity and point me in the direction of the one who can fix what's broken in my life. They're not going to judge me. They're not going to shame me. They're not going to tell me I'm worse than everybody else in the room because they're not. And they're going to handle it with equity. To think of ourselves is with as sinless is to deceive ourselves and to say this of ourselves is to lie the truth. The Bible says the truth is not in us. I'm going to have you stand to your feet. You know the word confess translates as a verb in the present tense, meaning that we should keep on confessing our sin instead of referring to a once and for all confession of sin at our conversion. It does not mean we have to keep asking for salvation. You don't have to keep asking to be saved. I've known people that have come to the altar. I used to have to explain this to my kids in youth group. Pastor, I got to give my life to Jesus. We just did that last week, bud. Six, seven weeks in a row. I'm like, no, it took. You're saved. 
what you're dealing with now is confessing sin and what we're going to have to work through is getting that thing that's hurting you out of your life and I would have to explain to him man if you if you go to if you if, if you close your eyes right now to go to be with the Lord you're going to be with Jesus because you asked him to save you you asked him to come into your heart you asked him to be the Lord of your life you 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 asked him to to, to wash away your sins with his blood and he did that but now what we're talking about is growth and sanctification. What we're talking about is taking that next step and starting to walk in the favor and the blessing and the anointing and the authority of God. And so we confess our sins continually because we don't want that gap to begin growing in our relationship with Jesus. We want to stay close with him. When we stay in proximation with him, closeness with him, that's when we have the illumination of the direction of our life. It's when we have direction. It's when we have clarity. It's when we have have clarity for our life, clarity which way we're supposed to go, clarity which way we're supposed to minister, minister on the decisions that we're supposed to make. We have clarity because we're in proximation with Him. But I want you to know this. You need to understand this. Our sins are not forgiven because we confess don't throw nothing at me if this were the case if forgiveness for a sin could only come because there was confession then we would all be damned because there are things I promise you there are things that in your life that were sin that you didn't even know were sin there are things that you did and you forgot to pray about there were times where you had a thought pop through your head that you didn't take captive and you just moved on with your day. None of us would be able to confess every sin we commit. We're not forgiven because we confess. We are forgiven because our punishment was upon Jesus and we are cleansed by his blood. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us. read this and I love that no man was kept out of God's kingdom for his confessed badness but many are kept out for their supposed goodness let me read that again no man was ever kept out of God's kingdom for his confessed badness but many are kept out for their supposed goodness what John is trying to get across and I want to leave you with that thought John is trying to get across be trans parent you don't have to be fake you don't have to act like you're something that you're not we are moving toward the cross continually we're confessing with one another and can I challenge you as we grow as a church as we go to another building as we reach out into Madison can we be a corporate body that's good at saying you know what you can bring your baggage you can bring your pain you can bring your brokenness because we just want you here and if that's who you are come on out we're going to point you in the direction of Jesus I want to pray for you today I know some of you in here might be struggling with that yourself you might be struggling with some brokenness some hurt and some pain in your own life you might be dealing with some sin and what you heard today is exactly what you needed to hear you're dealing with a fellowship issue you're not you're not as close with him as you would like to be you're not you're not in the approximation that you want to be. You know, you know that he's forgiven you. You know that he loves you. You know that just like a good father, you know that he hasn't kicked you out of the family.
but you feel that strain. You've been in a relationship you feel strain on before. You feel that strain. And you want to be honest. <laughs> you want to be honest about it. went to church for so long and I, I went to church for so long and I felt like I had to be honest with everybody else. Like, man, we've got to come up front. We've got to have altar calls. People really pushed that when I was young. You, you're not, nothing happens if you don't come to the altar and everybody knows what's going on and you got to talk to everybody. No, you've got to be honest with you. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself. John hit it over and over and over. Don't lie to yourself. Don't deceive yourself. And so for you, if your truth about you is that, man, I'm not as close as I want to be. I'm not as healed up as I hoped I would be. Or I've put on a mask. I've put on a mask and I've pretended to be something that I'm not, but I don't want that anymore. I want to pray for that group today. Let me pray for you today. Father, I believe there are people in this room that are hurting at a very deep level. Man, the smile is there. The words are there. The right attitude is there. But the pain, the pain is there because they have put a mask on. They've covered up what's really going on in their life. There's people in this room that they've walked in with their spouse and they're, they're holding hands coming into church so that they can look the part, but their hearts are distant from each other. There's people in this room that are hurting and that are struggling with addiction. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Lord, my addiction was visible, but nobody thought two things about it. Nobody thought two shakes about it. And there were other things, other areas in my life where I was struggling so deeply. Father, for the person that's struggling with addiction in this place, I pray that they would know that there is a God that can break every chain in their life, can break every bondage, tear down every fetter in their life that they no, ha no longer have to walk, Lord, in the shadows. They no longer have to walk and deceive other people or deceive themselves. Lord, they can bring their baggage and their pain here and they can, they can, they can be loved and receive Jesus here. Father, for the person who's struggling at a deep level that nobody sees, Lord, I pray right now that they would allow that to come to the surface to deal with the pain because they're internally bleeding. Lord, that's what the body of Christ is for. The body of Christ, when it operates the way that it's supposed to, when we operate the way that we're supposed to, Lord, we are not here. We are not here to tell people how to live their life we're not here. We're not here to judge every issue in every single person's life. That would be exhausting. What we are here to do is to do life with one another, moving toward the cross all the time. By doing life with one another, it means we walk through the low lows with people. It means we walk through the high highs with people. It means we're there when there's death. It means we're there when there's pain. It means we're there when there's sin. And we keep on walking, keep on marching toward that cross, keep on marching toward Jesus. We've just chosen to do life with these brothers and sisters in Christ and we're going to go through every peak and every valley with him as we make our make our way make our journey to the cross that's what we're here to do 
So, Father, I just pray that you would be with every single person in this place. I want to ask one more question today before we go. If you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't received him as your Savior, then today you need to. And you know that you need to. And you're saying, you know what, God, I, I haven't put you... I haven't put you in first place in my life. I haven't asked you into my heart. But I know that I need to. And I want to. With every head bowed, I want you to put your hand up on the count of three. Say, that's me. We're going to pray for you before we go today. We're going to receive Jesus. It would be the best choice you ever make in your life. Would you do that today? One, two, three. If that describes you, put your hand up. Say, that's me. I need to receive Jesus today. Let's all pray this together. Dear Jesus, today I give you my whole heart. I thank you for what you did in my life and for me. Today I'm asking that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would come into my life, be the light of my life, the direction of my life, the clarity of my life. Jesus, I ask you today to forgive me of my sins and to be my Savior. I give you all of me so I can have all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, be with my friends as they go. Use us mightily. Use us throughout the week. Let us be that light, that city that's set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. We'll see you next week.